Our scripture reading today comes from the book of James, chapter 3, verse 13, through chapter 4, verse 10, actually. Do you want to be counted wise, to, be, to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. Mean-spirited wisdom, ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish plotting. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at the other's throats. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessing, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with honor and dignity. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. You are spoiled children, each wanting your own way. So let God work his will in you. Say aloud no to the devil and watch him make himself scarce. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, is not my wisdom. <laughs> Whenever I think about wisdom and scripture, I, I think of Solomon uh, in the Bible. And whenever I think of Solomon, I think of something like this image. Anyone else grew up with flannel graphs in, in Sunday school, perhaps, where you had these little pieces of paper that they put up on the on the flannel board to, to tell the story. I think this one is Solomon. That's what I could find online. Solomon, when he became king after his father, David, he asked for wisdom. He didn't want money or power. He said he just wanted to be wise. 
And I think as um, I was growing up, it seemed like God just kind of zapped him with wisdom. You know, all of a sudden he started making these, these good choices. But I happened to notice this week as I was reading, rereading the story that um, God gave him a church building project to do <laughs> as his first um, lesson in, in wisdom. And isn't that interesting, right? Because uh, wisdom comes from when, as James says, when we're in community together. It's not just something that we sit and gain, although it, can, it also comes from our spiritual practices, but, but wisdom comes when our lives kind of rub up against each other. As, as uh, it says in the Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron. Wisdom comes as we are in community together. Wisdom is not knowledge. It's not knowing a lot of things. Wisdom is not a matter of skill or education or wealth or status or years of service. We all know people who have put in all of those things and we would not call them wise. Wisdom is to me kind of the, um, the je ne sais quoi of the spiritual and emotional life. It's that thing you can't quite pin down, but you know when you see it. You know when you encounter it in somebody and you know you can trust it. Wisdom has this simultaneous gravitas to it while also a lightness of being, not taking itself too seriously. Wisdom is not perfection, but wisdom is being on your way to wholeness. Let's pray. Oh God, we come to you like Solomon full of possibilities, full of issues in our world and in our lives that we don't know exactly how to tackle, maybe wondering if we are enough, and we ask you for wisdom to help us move into that place as we make our decisions and as we live our lives, longing to be wise, longing to learn from you. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so the book of James, uh, which John read from us, is um, an interesting book in the New Testament. It's a little bit of an anomaly. Um, pastors and preachers uh, think when they preach from the book of James, there might be a lot of finger wagging that happens because um, it's known as the, the faith without works is dead book. Uh, so it's not just about what you say. It's not just about what you believe in your head. It's about what you actually do. Uh, but as I was reading this week and revisiting this book this week, I um, read some commentary and began to think, you know, this, this is probably a different way to look at that book. It's not actually uh, shaking your finger. It's a wisdom book. And we think of wisdom books really as books in the Old Testament. We think of them, you know, like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, uh, books that are in, or even Job, the book of Job is a wisdom book. But James is the wisdom book of the Greek scriptures of the New Testament. It's the book that says, when all of these things come together, when your faith um, is genuine, it will flow out into goodness in the world. 
it will flow out into wisdom. Wisdom is this sense of living right with God and each other, James says. You don't get one without the other. You can't just sit in your cell and pray and feel good and not have that spill out in a genuine way in the, which, in the way in which you're growing in your relationships and you're engaging in encounter. And, and I love that, that bit at the end where, where you say or saying no to the devil, but you're listening a quiet yes to God. And wisdom is that saying yes to God over and over and over. And when I apply what we know of neuroscience to that, I think that over and over and over is actually building those neural pathways in our minds, but also in our habits, in our bodies, in our spirit. When we're saying yes to God and we're sub submitting to God, that's where wisdom begins. Because the, the flow of our life begins to flow in gentleness and grace in love. So it's easy enough to say all these things, um, but I don't know about you, but I find it really difficult. It's so often hard to say that yes to God or to spend enough time thinking about what the yes to God is in that moment. The text says the main threats to wisdom are envy and ambition. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at the other's throats. So there's something within us that wants what other people have. There's something within us that wants to move ahead. There's something in us that wants to look good. And it's, it's in those moments where, where we feel that pull towards that, that we step away from wisdom. When we feel out of control, we, we want to grasp control, and that always ends up in ambition and envy. And I think that comes because we, we don't live in the deep places in ourselves. We don't listen to what's happening within us and listen to others and most importantly, listen to the voice of God. And so we get caught up in those quick fixes of ambition and envy, which comes out in defensiveness and resentment and suspicion. All of that comes from essentially a focus on ourselves. And then our neural pathways start to form in that direction instead of the direction of wisdom. I, it's interesting that James, especially in the days we're living in right now, that James takes this to a global scale, because it's not just about between you and me. We see this happening across governments, across society. He says, where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again, they come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. Put that next to your TV as you're watching the news. See if you can see a few patterns in our world these days that follow along those, those paths of ambition and envy that James is describing. 
a few of us in the congregation are um, big Armand Gamache fans. Anyone read Louise Penny murder mystery novels? Yes. Um, the story is, and I recommend them to you um, highly. Apparently there's a movie coming out soon. Um, but Armand Gamache is the head of the, the police, police inspector force in Quebec. And he's always investigating murders. And um, he's this, um, this wise, wise man who is always surprising everybody because he doesn't come in full of ego. He doesn't come in full of bluster. He's listening to the stories of people, listening to their motivation. And one of the, my most favorite things is seeing him work with the young uh, police officers that come to work underneath him because they come and expecting that they're going to be all tough and, and they're going to learn, you know, how to use their gun and how to catch the bad guy. And Armand almost always starts out with this lecture. He says, there are four things to lead that lead to wisdom, he says. You must say, I don't know, I need help, I'm sorry, and I was wrong. I don't know, I need help, I'm sorry, and I was wrong. One of the things I love about this story is some of these murders are really gruesome and awful. It's like the worst of the world <laughs> in a book. And at the center of those places, you have someone who's seeking wisdom. You have someone who's willing to say, I don't know, I need help, I'm sorry, and I was wrong. That is the start of wisdom. These are four statements that counter ambition and envy in our lives. One of the most wise people that I know is the writer Parker Palmer, who is, uh, I think, close to 80 at this point, and he wrote this recently. He said, as I close in on 80, I know there are no shortcuts to wholeness, which I think is kind of the same as wisdom. The only way to become whole is to put our arms lovingly around everything we know ourselves to be, self-serving and generous, spiteful and compassionate, cowardly and courageous, treacherous and trustworthy. We must be able to say to ourselves and to the world at large, I am all of the above. If we can't embrace the whole of who we are, embrace it with transformative love, we'll imprison the creative energies hidden in our own shadows and be unable to engage creatively with the world's complex mix of shadow and light. I don't know, I need help. I'm sorry, I was wrong. I think there's two ways that we come at wisdom, two primary ways that we see in James. First thing is humility. That sense of what Parker Palmer is talking about, knowing yourself. He says, James says, uh, these things come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourself. And so we must know ourselves in order to be on the path of wisdom. Rumi said, yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I am changing myself. 
Wisdom is always coming back to ourselves to engage in practices of self-reflection, the humility to recognize where we're living outside of wisdom. That is the beginning of wisdom for sure. But the second thing, as I said earlier, is to be in community. James says, you can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. When I put my life in proximity of your life, it starts to break down my illusions of control, <laughs> certainly starts to break down my illusions that I'm in some way, anyway, perfect. When we're with each other, we start to be able to see each other and some of our rough edges start to get worn off. This past week, someone gave me some hard feedback about the fact that I had failed to appreciate them and notice them. I had been so wrapped up in my own agenda for the day and what was going on that I had hurt someone by not seeing each other. And of course, my first reaction was to tell them exactly why that had happened, why I was so busy that day, why I didn't have time. But then I had to step back for a moment. You're right. You know, in that moment, I didn't see you. And that begins to work wisdom within me, doesn't it? All of a sudden, it's like, oh, yeah, I need to take time to appreciate others. These two, this twofold path to wisdom is one of the reasons I so deeply believe in church. Church is not always easy. We didn't all get to pick each other and who was going to be in this room today or who was going to be online or who we get to be in a small group with. Church is a place where we kind of put our lives up against each other, and we, we, we take time to pray and hold each other accountable into our spiritual practices of our inward work, but it's also a place in which we come together and bring all of that in community to love and be of service to this world, to be the presence of Jesus. So I think, I think church life can have a very particular way of, of putting us in the path of wisdom. The wisdom that comes from following Jesus together. So as Roth said uh, earlier um, in the service, I want to be sure to make an invitation to you to do two different things this fall. And the first one is in, in, in understanding who you are and how you are in the world, and also to help you understand who other people are and how they are in the world, is to take, um, think about taking this introduction to the Enneagram course that Jane Tite is offering. And we did that last fall, and it was an amazing uh, engagement. We had about 50 people actually from all over the country who were calling in. And so please invite your friends, invite your partners, invite your kids to do it with you. It's going to be a short introduction, but I would say the Enneagram for me in the last decade of my life, it's one, been one of the most powerful ways for me to understand where my pathways are formed in ways that may not be so healthy. And what is the way that I can kind of turn my heart towards wisdom and become, begin to break out some of, out of some of those patterns that I have formed over my life? The second invitation is to consider joining a soul circle. We'd love to have as many people at Valley doing these together. There are small groups that are meeting both online and in person. 
just five gatherings, kind of reconnecting with each other in community, maybe getting to know some of the people who have joined this uh, congregation in the last year. We're going to go deep on a few of the topics that we've been talking about at a soul level, but I invite you to just, uh, there's signups out there or online, sign up for a soul circle this fall. They're happening late September through late November. Um, and so that's also an opportunity to be in community together, to practice wisdom together. As we uh, transition into our next song, I want us to take this song as a prayer, that there's room at the table for everyone. And that as we live in the way of Jesus, as we live in the way of wisdom, the table becomes bigger. More and more people are invited into wholeness. May it be so. Amen. <laughs> 